Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Abundant Life Church, where we believe that God is a good God. He loves you and he wants to bless you. Now join us as we dive into today's message. Today's going to be a little bit of a different Sunday, okay? You don't got Bishop? Oh. You don't got Sean? Oh. You don't got Pastor Reese? Oh. You got me. Oh, yeah. I, I can't tell you how excited I am to share with you, but I, have, I had a friend come, and as I was preparing for the word this week, I, like, I really wanted to give it my everything. So I had a friend. His name is Bobby Bemis. He was the guy that was playing the guitar here. Bobby, where are you, my friend? There he is, waving through the curtains. Uh, just an awesome man of God. And, and I want to uh, challenge you. Um, Bobby oversees this prayer and worship ministry. It's called One City. Somebody say, One City. And every morning, every morning, every morning, every morning, every morning, they go to the Lord in prayer and worship for our region, for our region, for this region, that God's kingdom would come to this region. That when the, Lord, when the world would look at South Florida, they would say, oh my God, there's a move of God that's happening in this region. I got to find out about it. And if you get the chance to, I, I pray, please, check out One City Prayer. It's an incredible move of God. You feel good this morning? You feel good? I feel good. Um, I, 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 it's hard for me to contain my excitement because I got some news that I want to share with everybody. Some of you already know this news. As you all know, I'm a father of two girls. Teddy, you know about that, don't you? And I was praying, and, you know, part of my job, I get to network with the church, the capital C church, like all the churches, Presbyterians and and Charismatic and Methodist and non-denominant, and I get to just be all up in the middle of them. And you kind of pick some things up when you're around different different expressions of faith. So I was praying as we were were getting ready to have a baby, and I found out Rochelle was pregnant, and, and I was like, God... The charismatic side of me said, I'm believing for a boy in Jesus' name. Hey! And then my grandmother, who's with the Lord, she was Presbyterian, and a part of her came out of me, and I was like, but God, in your sovereignty, if you would choose to give me a girl, I would be happy. (laughs) And I got to tell you, the charismatic side, what? Because we're having a boy! And that's a joke. Listen, it's all the church. It's all God. I'm just, I, I, I like that. But I'm so excited to share with you today. If you have motion sickness, please take your medication now because I can't stop moving. The Lord is doing something special in this place in your life. And today I get to be an instrument of his to encourage you. And as I'm talking today, I want you to know I'm in this with you. I'm a person with you. I'm in this process of knowing and loving the Lord deeper with you. And God is going to do something remarkable today with you. Amen? So how many of you were able to come to uh, the camp meeting this past week? Oh, come on. It was so good. I love I love Papa Shuttlesworth, and I, I love Teddy as he's on here on, the, on Tickling the Ivories, of course. Um, it was just so powerful. Every time I step into that environment, I don't know about you, but I leave like charged up. You know, I leave like, like I can go pray for anyone and I can pray for anything and it's going to happen, you know. 
And you can't knock that. You, you like, you, there comes a point in your life when you need to be charged up with faith. When you need to be charged up with the reality of the supernatural. Amen? Because we're not just called to live these natural lives. There's an element of the supernatural that we're obligated to live in. Amen? Does that make sense? So as I was preparing for today, <laughs> I, was, I, I, I was praying and I fell asleep and then the Lord woke me up. One of those typical stories, right? It always happened. Uh, God just woke me up out of my sleep, you know. But he really did. So there must be something to it. And it was probably like four or five something. And like I was kind of half awake but not. And I have the most wonderful children. Every night my, my daughters, they, they just find me. They'll climb in bed with me. Or if I'm on the couch, they'll climb on the couch with me. I don't recommend sleeping on the couch. It puts a little crick in your neck. <clears throat> but they find me. And... I remember laying next to my daughter, and, and I heard the voice of the Lord almost audibly. Like, seriously, this is probably one of the top ten times I've heard his voice this clear. And I know that it's for today. Somebody say today. And he said to me this, the time is now. The time is now. Come on. The time is The time is The time is the time is now. It's right now. Everything that you've been living your life, the culmination of the events of who you are, everything that God put in you, he wants to use now. Are you ready? I don't know if you're ready. Are you ready? Ready? They, they, they used to have seatbelts in these uh, auditorium seats, so, but they took them out. Um, the time is now. God has called you to do incredible things. He's put... Unique gifts, abilities, and identities in every one of you, and the time to do them is now. I, I got the privilege of uh, ministering at a conference uh, with IHOP, uh, International House of Prayer, not the pancakes place. That would be ministry gift, I'll tell you what. Banana nut, please. Um, no, International House of Prayer. And as I was praying, the Lord began to, like, show me a bunch of things for this conference about, like, the time that we live in, it's a unique time. There's a lot going on. I mean, let's just think about the past 20 months of our existence. How many of you in your life, and I'm talking young and old, how many of you in your life have ever encountered something like you did the past 20 months of your life? How many of you have ever seen the world change that much in your life as you did in the past 20 months? How many of you have ever seen so many political issues, racial issues, government issues, media issues? How many of you have ever seen the climax of all of this stuff at any point in your life? It was, it is a wild time. Wild. But what do we have to do in a time like now? Be like the sons of Issachar. And discern the times and seasons that you live in, right? So when I was 
when I was praying on that and the Lord was bringing it to me, I'm like, God, show me what, 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 like, what is all this about? Like, what, why are we seeing all these things? What is this time about? And the Lord, he spoke to me this thing. And I'm not saying this is the only thing for this season of time that God is speaking and doing and showing us. But this is one major thing that he showed me these past 20 months that he was surfacing. And that is, he is pointing out the division in our world. He is pointing out the division in our world. Let's think about that. And I'm sorry if this is touchy. Please don't be offended. But I'm sorry if you are. <clears throat> um, masks, right? You wear a mask, you don't wear a mask, right? It, it, like, really, it doesn't matter. But when you start to say, oh, they're like this because they don't wear a mask. Or we're like, they're like this because they do wear a mask. The crux of that, when you boil it all down, is division. Oh, boy. Okay. Got a little quiet. Got a little, I got permission from Bishop to do that, okay? He's really good at poking the bear. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry. Let's go there. Let's go there, right? Vaccinations. Crickets. The cricket anointing has fallen upon my life today. Whether you do, whether you don't, whether you, what you feel about it, what you don't feel about it, the moment you begin to, to make a person something because of what they do, there's an opportunity for the enemy to come in and bring about division. And one of the things that I'm privileged to see in my line of work dealing with the church is some of these things that the church lets in their doors. Remember that season? It was a terrible season of life when we had all those shootings and churches and all that stuff. Like, it was bad, man. But if you, I worked security here a little bit, right, so long ago. I thought it was so funny because while we were worshiping, I remember when we, like, had the stage and we just got in this building and I was working security here. And, like, none of this was painted, none of this was done. And the Lord spoke to me. He's like, get ready because you're going to share a word from that platform. And he reminded me of that today, and I had no idea. I totally forgot. So today is the fulfillment of that prophecy, Sister Aaron. <laughs> uh, amen. Um, but we would not let somebody through those doors. I know Greg Lowe. I know the security team. Boy, they are like poised and ready. Like they're ready. They will take you down. You come in with something you shouldn't come in with, an attitude or anything. Like they are going to take you down. You're not coming through these doors. So if we would do that to a threat that we can see, why wouldn't we do that if we can see a threat by the Spirit? Whoa. Why would we entertain division if we're not supposed to be having not none of that in our house? Why would we? We wouldn't. We, we need the Greg Lowe anointing. We need to go out and get that thing. Because God is not coming back for a broken bride. He's coming back for a bride that is without spot and a bride that is without wrinkle. And here's the thing. The bride makes herself ready. She just doesn't sit on her bridal gown and, and allow herself to become. She makes herself ready. She sees the threats. She sees the things that, that might come in that might separate her more from her bridegroom, Jesus. And she says, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not allowing that. I'm not having that. We are in this time, and the time is now. The time is now. We, we are living at a time where there's a real sense of urgency. It was so funny because I was talking to uh, Aaron 
That's, uh, can I say Aaron or do I have to say Pastor Aaron? You just tell me. Okay, thank you. I love you. Um, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, guys. Um, I was walking through the mall yesterday, no, two days ago, and I hadn't been to the mall since before COVID. I, I mean, that's right, before COVID. So, like, I'm because, you know, I'm, with my job, you know, I got a lot of work shirts, and, like, I don't need to go refresh the wardrobe. <laughs> you know, if I'm buying anything new, it's for hunting. Right, Uncle Dennis? <laughs> and, I, and I'm like... Walking through the mall, because I'm like, oh, man, I got to get a shirt. I got to, you know, I can't just wear my four kids shirt. What's that about, you know? Can you imagine? Somebody's laughing at me. Um, and I'm walking through the mall, and I'm looking for these things, and, I'm like, I'm going in and out of stores because, you know, I, gotta, I, was, I had a tight schedule. I got to do some stuff. And, you know, you want the, do you like this shirt? It's from Macy's Men Kids Home. I like this shirt. It's got a little fall to it, you know? <laughs> but I'm looking for a shirt, and I'm like, oh, that's not going to work. Dang, did I get that fat? Oh, God, and I put that back in. <laughs> like, oh, I thought I looked good until you get in that dressing room with the mirror. Oh, God, that's the worst. I'm buying that mirror of death and destruction. <laughs> so I'm walking in, I'm running in and out of these stores, and this guy, he, like, stops me. He, like, flags me down. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm like, what's up, man? He's like, I can see you got a real sense of urgency about you. And I was like, the Lord must have spoke to him because that's the first point. There is a real sense of urgency that we're in right now. And here's the scripture that I want to share with you. It's out of Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. I'm reading out of the New International Version just because I like this one for this scripture. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run, let us run, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's, let's stop right there as we just unpack this word. And let me pray one more time. God, as we are in your word, as we are receiving your words, we don't take it lightly. These ancient scriptures that reveal who you are, I pray that they would come alive, each and every one of us in our own way, what you're speaking to us today. Amen. First thing in that scripture, we are surrounded. Somebody say surrounded. By such a great cloud, uh, yeah, that one was hard for you. To, I, I'm sorry. Just say surrounded. By such a great cloud of witnesses. What does that mean, that great cloud of witnesses? And, you know, as I begin to study that out and look at that, I think like the Greek word is like martyrs or something which has to do with martyrs. And then if you read the, the chapter before, it lists, you know, Abraham and Sarah and all of those who have gone on before us. All of those who we in this earthly life may have lost all of those and I, I know this pain very deeply and all, a lot of you know you know the loss of my brother that's been a huge part of my life and a lot of you are there for me but I woke up to this fact with the great cloud of witnesses that there are people that are still connected to your story even though they're not here think about that for a second if you've lost someone that knew the Lord, there are people that are connected to your story that are still a part of cheering you on, saying, let's go, you've got to run that race. You're not done yet. And they're a part of your story. We're surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses as we live in this time because the time is now and we're in an urgent time. We've got to know we got some people that got our backs 
that can see a bigger picture, that know what's going on and how to encourage us. They're all throughout the scriptures. Read it, read it, read it. The next piece of that, it says, we must throw off. That's a, that's a polite word, right? Throw off. Throw off. That's not polite at all. To throw something off, like, you ever had, like, any, anybody ever lifted weights? Anybody? I can kind of not put my hand up anymore because it's been a long time. <laughs> Anyone ever? You know what I'm talking about, Gary? Football's been over for a long time. Uh, Anyone ever lift Olympic weights? Olympic weights, crossfitter, crossfitter. Well, the thing about Olympic weights is they're designed so that you can throw them. You put them on and you throw them and you're not going to break them. And I remember lifting in college, not recently, and we'd lift these weights because we got, you know, we had to bulk up so much. And I remember lifting these weights, and when you get a weight that you have been struggling so hard and trying to lift, you, you get this moment. It's like a rite of passage. You get to throw it off, and then it crashes, boom, 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 boom. And everybody looks at you like, well, what did he do? Because you're proud of it. Well, it's the same thing. This, this throwing off, it's not like a little, like, let me just kind of deal with this hindrance. Let me just deal with this sin. It's like, let me throw this thing off. Let me get rid of this thing because I'm living in an urgent time and it's now and God's going to use my life and there can be nothing that separates me from the things that he wants me to do. I told you I was excited this morning. Golly. Throw off two things, right? Everything that hinders and the sin. Two separate things. Don't bunch them up. Everything that hinders... And the sin, what are these hindrances? Wounds, emotional, things that people have said to us, things that people have done to us. Not necessarily a a thing of sin, but it's something that weighs you down. An affinity to this world that is unhealthy. An affinity to the things, these natural things that we see every day that's not godly. I was reading one of the commentaries and it says, an inordinate care for the present life or fondness for it is a dead weight upon the soul that pulls it down. And when that soul should be ascending upward, it pulls it back down. You should press forward, but this makes duty and difficulties harder and heavier than they would be. Talking about wounds, talking about hindrances. My version, the Andrew Holmes commentary, reads it like this. (laughs) A hindrance is something that exists in you that makes you more concerned about this world than the one you're really from. A hindrance is something that that, that makes you invest more in things that are outside of Jesus than things that are with Jesus. That's a hindrance. Now, I'm not demonizing things in life at all. I I love life. I was out hunting yesterday morning at 1 o'clock in the morning. Right? Yeah, that's right, 1 o'clock. I love the things of this world. I love life. But the moment that the scales tip more and your affections dip more into this world than heaven, we've got an issue. We've got to fix that. 
I remember, I'm so glad you're here, brother. I remember um, Teddy one time, he was talking about something similar, and the Lord spoke to him, and he's like, bro, you got to get rid of your shoes. Remember that, your Jordans? And he had this incredible collection of Jordans that I was the beneficiary of one of those pairs. And he's like, God told me, I got to give them up. And in that moment, I believe he was, he was being obedient to the, to the Lord. Anything that could serve as a hindrance, he was getting off. He was throwing off. Hindrances. Examine yourself right now. Are there hindrances in your life? Are there things that you're carrying? Are there wounds that you have that you don't need to be having anymore? Now, I know that some wounds take some healing and take some process and take time. But in your mind, you have to make up, I'm not going to carry these things anymore. I'm not going to be offended with X person anymore. I'm not because I can't afford to carry these hindrances. The next thing it says, the sin. Sin. Well, we all know sin. I have a friend who, uh, he wrote a rap song when I used to do hippity hop. <laughs> and I was, I was in college too at the time and I was like, you know, I was in grammar in college. So I was kind of like looking at it and like, I was like, does that make grammatical sense? And he wrote that he loved the Lord. I'm not going to tell you his name. He loved the Lord, and he was talking about his, his uh, testimony. He's like, God, and I thank you for cleaning me from all my sinful sins. I'm like, isn't a sin inherently sinful? <laughs> well, that's quite, that's quite a descriptive on a sin. That would be some nasty sin if it's sinful sin. Oh, that's some ugly sin. I don't, I don't got that sinful sin. I know y'all don't have that sinful sin either. That's some nasty sin. <laughs> oh, sinful sin. And I talked to him about it and we laughed, but because um, the song was already recorded and produced, that's the funny thing. <clears throat> but there are a couple of different types of sin that I think we need to be aware of as this scripture is pertaining to. You have sins of commission, sins that you know you're doing, sins that you like. For me, sins of commission might be like in traffic and somebody cuts you off and you know you shouldn't give them that dirty look because they might go to your church. But you do anyway because you need to make your point that their behavior was unacceptable. But you know the Lord's like, Andrew, don't do that. Andrew, don't, but you do it anyway. I ask publicly for forgiveness. I confess my sins one to another. Sins of commission, things you know you shouldn't do. And then there are sins of omission. Mm. Sins that you may be taking part in that you don't really realize in the moment. Omission. Two types of sins that we got to throw off. Sins we know about and sins that we constantly stay in a place of repentance and humility because we're humans and nothing, God wants nothing to stand in the way. Throw off these things. Throw off hindrances. Throw off the sin. All right, let's continue. I'm going to take a little bit of water. Let us run with perseverance. I love that phrase. Let us run. I love kind of how violent this scripture is. Like, throw it off. Let us run. Like, I love the intensity. In case you haven't noticed, I'm, I can get intense at times. And I apologize. 
let us run this race with perseverance. It's important that we know this walk of life, this thing that we do, our living for the Lord, it's a race. And it's not going to be a race where there's like all, all rainbows and butterflies. You're going to encounter some stuff along the way. And I don't say that to speak negatively, but I'm saying that to prepare you so that you can be ready and you can dominate that situation because your heart has been made ready for whatever the enemy might try to throw at you. You can be like, no, in Jesus' name, I don't accept that. I don't receive that. I don't want that. I don't believe in that diagnosis. I know that I'm created for more. I know that God has a future for me to be ready for, for when these things happen. Let us run with perseverance. It's not just like this run thing where, like, you're jogging along, and it's, you know, I don't do that either. You're jogging along, and, <laughs> and it's easy. You finish your mile in 12 minutes, and you could have walked it, but you jogged it. That's not the race that God's talking about. <laughs> the race that God is talking about is a full-out sprint. And it's a sustained sprint. Maybe sprint's not the right word. I have a friend who runs these ultra marathons. 99, what is it? 99 miles. Takes him over a day to run him. And he, and he runs and he takes his shoes off. He has no more toenails. That's the kind of race. Well, some of you could do good not to have your toenails from what I've been told. Dad. <clears throat> um. But, uh, <laughs> but he runs this, this day or day and a half race, 99 miles, and, like, you have to continue to sustain an aggressive pace. You can't stop. So what they do is, while you're on this race, people will have, like, protein packets and water packets and Gatorades, and you're running this race, but you're also eating at the same time and drinking at the same time, and you keep going because you have a finish line that you've got to get to. Our walk with God is the same way. Our race is the same way. It's not a trot, you know, skip and tootly it is a full-out sprint that must be sustained because God is using you for his glory. The race that is marked out for us, that means that it's not just a random happening of events, this race of life. It's not random. You make decisions because God loves free will, but there is a divine purpose for your life, for your existence. And it's fully intentional. And God's got humongous plans for you. And he was so kind to mark out this race, to mark out this path so that you can run it well. And God's not the type that's like, okay, I've I, I marked out this race. You go run it, this race of life, this race of faith. And you go run it and we'll see how you do. No, God, in the way that he does things, he puts the gold medallion around your neck before you even begin running the race. He says, you're going to win this thing. Not only are you going to win it, the race is marked out. If you just follow my leading, you're going to do incredible at what I've called you to do. That's our God. That's this race. So I'm going to just continue reading the, the next verse. Fixing us. That was only one verse. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. I love that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely 
dim. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, or the author and the finisher of our faith. Now hold on to this part for me until the end. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What does that pioneer part mean? Jesus is not only the one who we believe in, but he's also the one who made a way for us to believe in him. Think about that. He's not only the object of our faith, he made the way for us to believe in him. He's the author. He's the writer. He's the perfecter. The perfecter of our faith. So whenever we encounter any gaps in our faith experience, in our faith walk, he perfects them. He finishes them. He makes them look real good and come together real nice. And I thought about when I was growing up, I was a kid, my dad, he was a a drywall machine. He was like an interior framer. And this guy, this little... 160-pound Jamaican could do work like none other. I remember watching him, and he was, I remember he took me to a job, and, and we, were, we were hanging drywall. I remember being like a little chubby kid and looking at, uh, looking at like, he puts this up, and he's got the screw gun running, and he, like, got the screws in his mouth, and he hold, he's holding the drywall, and he's like, zoom, 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 and he just does that over and over and over again. And, like, you look at the drywall, and it becomes a wall, but you see all the screw holes. You see, like, where the drywall butts up together. And he, he talked to me, he's like, Andrew, there's something called a three-step coat that you've got to put on this drywall. Three-step coat. He's like, first, you put that mud on there and you sand it down. And then you go after it dries, you go and you put it on again and you sand it down. At this time, it looks pretty good, but he's like, no, it's not done. It's got to be perfect. It's got to be finished. And he goes back a third time and he puts mud over the screw holes and over those, over those joints and he sands it down to finish the room. I saw the same thing with our faith. We encounter different things. We believe for different things. We hope for God for different things. And we, we're putting our faith together in different pieces. And then Jesus, all the gaps that we've had are the times we prayed and we didn't hear what we were answering. The times when we walked through something, we didn't get the result we were looking for. And we have these little faith gaps. Jesus comes and he fills in the gaps with his goodness. Come on, somebody. He fills in the gaps with his goodness and he sands it down. And then he goes back again and he fills in the gaps so that when it comes time for you to believe for somebody else they're going to get their miracle because you walked through something that gave you a testimony getting too excited you know what the bible also says about that in in first peter like the work of the holy spirit it draws the attention of the supernatural what do i mean by that when the holy spirit has a process in your life and you're believing for something you're having faith and you're running this race It says that angels will watch eagerly to see how you do your life. They will listen to how you talk about the God that they know in heaven but have never experienced because they don't live on earth the way that we do. It's interesting to the supernatural realm. Your testimony is provoking. It's attractive to the supernatural realm. Not only to the supernatural realm, but it's it's attractive to the people in this world that need to know Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I start talking about my testimony, it don't matter what people believe or what they do, they, they, they want to listen to what I got to say. They won't listen to a scripture. They won't hear the beautiful word of God, but they'll hear your experience of it. How important is your testimony? How important is that? Some of you got friends, you got coworkers that you need to let know, hey, this is, and boldly let them know, this is what God did for me. And it don't matter if they believe in God or not. They need to hear you say it because it's going to do something. 
They need to, they need to see that you believe it because it's going to do some. That's witnessing. It's being a living epistle read of all men. Let's go on to the next verse. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, that you will not grow weary or lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you or corrects you. Because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Let me just set something straight, right? God is not perverse. He doesn't break your arm so that he can heal it. God doesn't want bad things to happen to his kids. But the benefit of walking through a trial is that he's working it together for your good. That is discipline. That is his discipling you. Does that make sense? We're together? Awesome. Let's go to eight. And if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Don't run away from correction, my friends. Don't run away from correction. I remember I used to hate when people tell me what to do. Like I used, oh man, I used to hate that. Even today, I still kind of hate it a lot. I really, my boss would be like, hey, Andrew, can you be like, no, I'm working on something. And the Lord's working on me. But we can't hate this correction, man. We can't hate it. We can't run from it. As a matter of fact, we need to expect, second point, to be corrected. Expect to be corrected. Why? Because he really, really loves you. A story of mine, I was dropping my girls to school one morning, and um, I was thinking about something I had to do, and I was like, I'm going to get vulnerable with you guys. Is that okay? You willing? Let's go. Um, and I was like, I had to do something, and I can't really remember exactly what it was, and I was like, I need to get some feedback from people. I need, some, I need a sounding board, if you will. And, and as I was thinking of who I could reach out to, I'm like, nope, can't reach out to that person because they don't have my best interests in mind. No, I can't reach out to that person because I don't really think they're really for me. No, I can't really reach out to this person because I don't know if they're going to handle the information well. And, and, and I just remember going down the list of people in my life and saying, no, 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 no. None of those people are here, by the way, just please, none of you. Um, and then the Lord, and I was not expecting this at all. God ever speak something to you that you weren't expecting to hear? I'm trying to help you. Expect to be corrected because here it comes. He said to me, Andrew, you have trust issues and it's affecting our relationship. God, dog, that's heavy. I never even knew that I was living that way. I never knew I had those issues. I didn't know that that was a part of my story until the Lord in his loving kindness corrected me. Man, the time is now. We need to expect to be corrected. 
We can't live with the same old stuff that we've been living in and doing. We can't just go about our days like we always go about our days. Some things in our life, they have to change for God to do what he's called us to do. Because here's the thing, right? It blows my mind. This world that you're living in, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about him and people coming to him. It's about relationship. God sent Jesus so that he can have his family back. So we've got to do these things. When it's time to be corrected, put me in line. Let me just, I'm just kidding. When it's time to be corrected, we need to be ready and run with it. Don't, be, don't resist it. Okay, God, let me fix this. Let me work on this. Let me do this now. Is there anything else? We got we to be ready to be corrected. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about, like, <laughs> how many of you shop in person at the grocery store? <laughs> you know what's coming? I know all of us, there's no one excluded, have encountered that little boy at the grocery store that was mouthing off to his mom. So go, back, go back in your own mind to your story. See that little boy talking smack to his mom because he couldn't get his Milky Way. And he's yelling at her, and, and that poor mom, she's tired, and she's got another one in the other arm. She's like, come on, come on, please, let's just go, come on. And you're looking at this because you're full of energy, and you're looking, and, and you're like, that poor woman, but that poor boy. Because if he was my kid, <laughs> if that was my boy, he'd be clean across the grocery store by now. Call the people I used to be one. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Um, don't leave marks and bruises on your children, people. Don't do that. Um, <clears throat> but if it was your kid, because you love them deeply, you're not going to let this moment go undisciplined. This is a teachable moment for little Johnny. Johnny, you got to know this ain't the way that we do things in the grocery store. And whatever your parental style is, you're going to discipline that young man so that he can be a good young man. And so he's not going to embarrass you. Don't run from correction. You don't want to be like little Johnny arguing with God about the Milky Way. Don't do it. Don't do it. Third point. Be a doer. Be a doer. Be a doer. Coming out of James 1, 21 through 25 in the new King James Version. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word. But be doers of the word. But be of the word. But be of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But he who looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. The promise of doing is blessing. The promise of being a doer of the word is the blessing of the word. And I looked into that word doer because I was like, what does it really mean to be a doer, God? Like, what do you mean do? What, tell me. What, what? 
I need to know. And I'm looking at it, and I look up the, you know, the, the, the Greek word, and it's called poietes. Somebody say poietes. And that don't mean like you ate something bad. No. Poietes is the Greek word, and that word has some interesting definitions to it. A maker, a producer, an author, a performer, a poet. When I got to that poet part, I'm like, what in the world does that mean? When God calls us to be a doer of the word, we need to understand that God is this author, right, who gives his word to us and then says to us who, who were made in his image and likeness, he says, do something with the word that I gave you. Author something with the word that I gave you because doer means author and poet. Write something with the word that I gave you. Make your life out to be something like beautiful poetry. As a poet would put together these words and phrases and use language to have this piece that can be read and remembered, God is saying, with your life and with my word, make something out of it that people can connect with. That is beautiful. That even in some of the brokenness that we walk through, there's the ashes that become beautiful. Being a doer of the word is taking all the beautiful things, all of the scriptures, all the things that he's commanded us to do, and even the prophetic words over your life. How many of you guys got a prophetic word? You better raise your hand because the time is now. There's a prophetic word for you today. And do this in a way that's beautiful. When God gets involved, ugly things become pretty. I'm not going to give an example at all. Let's go to the last point. Number four, be one. Be one. What does that mean? Well, in order to know what this means, you got to go back to John 17. I'm going to be reading out of 20 through 23, but let me set the stage, right? It's the last night of Jesus' earthly life. He's having a meal with his most intimate followers. I didn't even realize all this happened in one night. He washes their feet. They take this new ordinance for the church that's called communion. Judas is identified as the betrayer, and Peter was told he's going to deny Jesus. This is one night. That's a heavy night. There are some passages of Scripture you cover centuries, and other passages of Scripture you cover hours. We're covering hours. And right before Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays this prayer. And in this prayer, he prays for you before you even had a beating heart. This is what he prays. Jesus prays for all believers. I do not pray for these alone, meaning the disciples, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word. Let me stop for a second. We are all a product of the disciples. We are all a product of of their words and the apostles. They are our great, 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 great spiritual grandparents. Jesus is praying for us 
on the heaviest night of his existence, on the heaviest night of his life. He has you in his mind. Lord, I pray that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me. Stay with me. And I in you. That they also may be one in us. Here's where it gets crazy. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you've given me, I've also given them. That they may be one just as we are one. I and them, you and me. That they may be perfect and one. And that the world may know that you have sent me. And that you love them as much as you love me. There's a couple of things I want us to know out of this passage. That glory in verse 22 that he talks about. And the glory which you gave me, God to Jesus, I, Jesus, give to them, you, that they may be one. The glory helps make us one with Jesus. But when you look at that word, glory, the original word is called doxa. Doxa has many meanings. And I'll read you a few. His good reputation, his splendor, brightness figuratively as a bright light, like when Paul saw the transfiguration or Jesus or the shepherds see the angel, tangibly as a cloud, Shekinah. Excellence, resources, wealth, greatness, a thriving state, you'll be regarded as an ornament. Majesty, absolute perfection, saving grace, the personal excellence of Christ, the glorious condition of blessedness. Jesus shares with you, oh, my God, I might need a seat. His glory, very tangible, real, practical things like having a bright countenance. You ever walk into a room after spending time with God and people are like, what's going on with you? You look really bright today. There's something different about you today. It's the glory. Or even, even more tangibly, the Shekinah cloud of glory. Not only that, those supernatural things, very naturally, he shares with you wealth, excellence, resources. He wants you to be in a thriving state of living. Think about it. He shares with us his glory. This is all a part of that glory, that doxa glory. And what happens when we live in that? What happens when we're one? Here's what it says. And the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as much as you love me. So if I'm putting this together right, as we, the church, the believers, the descendants of the great apostles, disciples, become one with each other, ridding ourselves of division, learning how to be in unity, not just with abundant life, folk, but the church across the street, the church down the road, the church in Africa, the church, everywhere you go, when we can learn how to be one, listen to what it does. It lets the world know that God exists, that God exists. There goes atheism. And because he exists, he sent Jesus. So now, because we get along the world knows that God is real, Jesus has been sent, and that God loves them who don't know him 
as much as he loved Jesus. Think about that for just one second, please. When we choose to be in unity, when we choose to be one with each other, it accomplishes much. <laughs> and you got some benefits in that as well. Why? Folks, because the time is now. The time is now. Thank you for listening. We trust that what you heard today has encouraged you to live the abundant life. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on our website, AbundantLife.tv, or follow us on Instagram at AbundantLife underscore TV and Facebook at Come to Life. And remember, God is a good God. He loves you and he wants to bless you.